This morning we are finishing up our sermon series on a picture is worth a thousand words. Uh, I think it's actually been a pretty good sermon series. I hope you've enjoyed it as much as I have. But today's our last, our last picture. We'll be preaching from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 4, verses 35 through 41. But before I read that to you, I invite you to bow your heads and join me in prayer. Gracious and loving God, we come to you now with open hearts, hopeful to hear your word. We pray by the grace of your spirit that the words we hear and the thoughts of our hearts will lead us to your will for all of us as your church and for each of us as your children. Dear God, we love you. We thank you for your love. Amen. So again, Mark chapter 4, beginning with verse 35. On that day when evening had come, he said to them, let us go across to the other side. And leaving the crowd behind, they took him with them in the boat, just as he was. Other boats were with them as well. A great windstorm arose, and the waves beat into the boat, so that the boat was already being swamped. But he was in the stern, asleep on the cushion. And they woke him up and said to him, teacher, do you not care that we are perishing? He woke up and rebuked the wind and said, Peace, be still. Then the wind ceased, and there was a dead calm. And he said to them, Why are you afraid? Have you still no faith? And they were filled with great awe and said to one another, Who then is this that even the wind and the sea obey him? This is the gospel of the Lord. Praise Praise to you, O Christ. I've told you before that I was no stranger to competition growing up with an older brother. We competed with everything, whether it was our grades in school or how many points we scored in a basketball game or how big of a fish we could catch. In fact, I'm pretty sure I told you a few years ago a story about how my father took us out deep sea fishing to see who could catch the biggest fish. We were probably in elementary school and we went off uh, the coast of Charleston out of a, a big boat called the Carolina Clipper with about 40 other fishermen off the coast of Charleston out of Shim Creek there, out 60 miles out into the ocean into the Gulf Stream. Uh, my dad took my brother the first day, and, and what happened was you'd get on the boat, and you'd put $5 in the pot, and, and if you caught the biggest fish, then you got the pot for the day. Well, on Tuesday, my, my dad took my brother out, and sure enough, Alex's good luck, he caught the biggest fish and won the pot, which was somewhere around $200 for the first, first day. Well, he came back pretty proud of himself, and I, being the little brother, thought, anything he can do, I can do better. And so I went out on Wednesday, prepared to win the pot myself. I was going to catch the biggest fish, not only the biggest fish on the boat, but a much bigger fish than my brother caught. We went out 60 miles off the coast into the Gulf Stream as well. But one thing that was different between my brother and I is I did not have my sea legs yet. And so sitting there bobbing up and down in the middle of the Gulf Stream, I got seasick. As we bobbed there, I turned green as a frog, and not only did I not catch dinner that night, but I was not interested in lunch, and I had already lost my breakfast. (laughs) I stayed out there for eight hours hostage in the Gulf Stream until finally the boat turned back around and brought us all back in, and I told my father I never wanted to go fishing in the Gulf Stream 
ever again. I tell you that story because the title of our picture on the wall is The Gulf Stream, painted by Winslow Homer back in 1899. Some of you probably know about the Gulf Stream. It's a fast-moving current of water that flows from the Gulf of Mexico around the, the end of Florida all the way up the eastern seaboard, and it's known to have a lot of big fish, a lot of big waves, and a lot of big storms. And you can see all of those things in our painting this morning. A lot of things to be afraid of out in the Gulf Stream. You can see the waves are, are really bigger than the boat. The boat is being tossed to and fro. You may not be able to see it as well, but there are sharks down in the bottom of the picture there. And, and up at the top of the picture, you can see a storm, a squall of some kind is, is waiting in the distance there. Lots of things to be afraid of when you're out there in that deep, deep water. That's certainly the case for our disciples this morning in our passage from the Gospel of Mark. They're not out in the Gulf Stream, but they're out in the Sea of Galilee, which was really like a really huge lake up in the region of Galilee where Jesus did a lot of his preaching and teaching before his death and resurrection. And in fact, in the Gospel of Mark, you'll notice this when you study the Gospel of Mark, that they use the Sea of Galilee as almost like a transitional symbol. Every time that the author of the Gospel of Mark wants to transition from one story to the next story, it will say, and then Jesus went across to the other side and he healed and teached and preached there and then Jesus went across back to the other side and he healed and teached and, and preached there those are the ways that he he uses the the Sea of Galilee as a transition point but then here in this transition point something happens something miraculous something fearful a storm comes up on the lake the disciples are in a little boat, just like uh, Vicki taught our, our children this morning, a little tiny boat that is being tossed to and fro to the point that it's about to be swamped under. And Jesus is sleeping in the back of the boat. The disciples wake Jesus up and say, don't you care that we're about to die here? But Jesus very profoundly, very dramatically just simply says, peace, be still. And all the wind and all the waves stop. And then he looks at his disciples and says, what were you so afraid of? What were you so afraid of? Not the most pastoral answer from our Lord and Savior. After all, I think they had a lot to be afraid of. They were fearful that they were going to be tossed out of the boat. They were fearful that they were going to drown, that they were going to die right there in the middle of the Sea of Galilee. Fear is a very natural feeling that all of us have. Fear sometimes uh, stops us from doing things that are dangerous. Fear can also stop us from doing things that we need to do from time to time. But we listen to our fears and sometimes we even use fear to try to influence other people around us. But fear is a very natural feeling that all of us have from time to time. And I think a, a very healthy interpretation of this passage, one that I've even used before, is that we all know that if God is with us, we have nothing to fear. That if Jesus Christ is by our side, we can always lean on Jesus in life and in death and in life again. We know that Jesus is with us, that Jesus will care for us, that there is nothing that can separate us from the love of God. A very healthy and important lesson is to, to know that we don't have to be governed by our fear because we know that God loves us and always will. 
Just a little elementary example of that. That's something we teach our children even. I remember growing up, I was a teenager, and I was babysitting a child in our church. He was a, a wonderful little guy. I had taken him out to pizza. We were playing video games at home. He was pretty rambunctious and full of himself until finally the time came for him to go to bed. It was bedtime, and he, as it turned out, was scared of the dark. He didn't want to go to bed, and I tried everything I do, could do to explain to him that it was time to go to bed, that I, I needed a break, that I needed him to go to bed, and that it would be okay if he went to bed, but he was too afraid. And so finally I asked him, well, what does your mom do when you're afraid of the dark? And he said, well, she sings to me, usually sings a song from church. Not wanting to give him nightmares, I chose not to sing to him. <laughs> But I did suggest that he sing one of those songs that his mother sang to him, and so he did. He got under his covers and started to sing, Jesus loves me, this I know, for the Bible tells me so. I left him in his room singing that little song, but every now and then I would lean my ear back up to the door just to see if he had fallen asleep, and he was still singing, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, yes, Jesus loves me, for the Bible tells me so. Those words just remind us that Jesus is in the boat with us, right by our side. When the storms of this life come, we are not alone. Walter Brueggemann even says that one of the most persistent and profound themes throughout the entire Bible, the Old Testament and the New Testament, is, I am here, don't be afraid. When we face the figurative storms of life or the real storms in life, I am here, don't be afraid. When someone in our family is suffering and dying, I am here, don't be afraid. When we lose our jobs and we can't pay our bills, I am here, don't be afraid. When we face a diagnosis and, and a difficult journey ahead, a difficult treatment plan, I am here, don't be afraid. Or even when we face our own death, which each and every one of us will face one day, I am here, don't be afraid. Those are words we need to hear, words that we need to remember that in the storms of life, Jesus is by our side to give us peace, a peace that surpasses understanding. That's a, a good lesson and a healthy lesson from this passage. The problem is, is that when Jesus yells, peace, be still, even though the storm calms down, the disciples are still afraid. But they're no longer afraid of the storm. They're afraid of something else. They are now afraid of Jesus. You might have heard it when I read those last two verses there. It said something like they were filled with awe at Jesus. That's a bad translation. The word there in Greek is phobos or phobia. They were afraid of Jesus. Who is this? that can command the wind and the waves. They were no longer afraid of the wind and the waves. They were afraid of Jesus, this powerful person who had power that could overwhelm the wind and the waves, this person who had more power than they had experienced in their entire life. And they had just woken him up. This person who had been in the back of the boat sleeping calmly now was awake. And if he could overwhelm the wind and the waves, that maybe he would overwhelm them too. 
Maybe He would call them to do things that they didn't think they could do. Maybe He would call them to be people like Him who served and tried to give peace to other people. They were afraid because this is not who they thought was with them in the boat. And I dare say as disciples, maybe we have that fear from time to time too. It's nice to think of Jesus as sleeping there in the back of the boat. It's always there. We can wake Jesus up when we need Jesus, when we need a prayer answered, and then Jesus go right back to sleep so we can go back to doing the things we want to do. But when Jesus is awake, when Jesus is awake in my life and in your life, we can't go back to living the lives we lived before. We are called to be awake too, to wake and to rise and to give that peace to other people just like Jesus Christ does. And that's something that as wonderful as that might sound might just cause us to be afraid from time to time. There's a wonderful little anecdote that Fred Craddock tells. It's a story about a pastor friend of his who was going to the hospital, going to visit a, a patient, a member of his church who had been going through a difficult diagnosis, a cancer diagnosis for many months. The doctors and the nurses had all said, it's, it's over, it's time to start thinking about what's next. And he came to the hospital, like most pastors do, with a beautiful pastoral prayer in his heart, a way of just simply saying, everything's going to be fine. God has us in the palm of God's hand. I'll, God will love us in life and in death and in life again. I think I've probably said something like that a few times in my life. He came and prayed this prayer to this woman, and after the prayer was over, she said, I did not like that prayer. I want you to pray a different prayer. I want you to pray for my healing. I want you to pray for this tumor to go away. I want you to pray that I'm going to be healthy and well and, and live on. And so the pastor did exactly what she asked for him to do. He prayed a prayer of healing. A couple of days later, he came back to the hospital and discovered that they had done another scan and the tumor was gone, that all the tubes were out of her body and she was so thankful that God had given her a miracle. And he was terrified. He left and walked back out to the parking lot, looked up to heaven and said, God, don't ever do that to me again. Because we're terrified of this God that can overwhelm us at times with God's mercy and God's power because that same God can overwhelm us with God's calling what God calls us to do and who God calls us to be. This is not a God that we can wake up when we want that God to help us and, and answer our prayers, but that we have to ignore or we can keep asleep when our lives are going fine on our own. This is a God that we have to surrender to. It's not a God that we can wake up. It's a God that's trying to wake us up to get us to listen to the voice of God calling us to live and to serve and help bring that peace to other people in the world. Believe it or not, something similar happened when Winslow Homer painted his painting in 1899. Winslow Homer, as you might know, is a wonderful American painter and painted lots of different things, painted during the Civil War, painted after the Civil War, but when he painted this painting, it caused a lot of controversy. People out of nowhere saw this painting and right in the, in the 30 years after the Civil War when slaves were freed, when America was trying to potentially expand to Cuba and the Bahamas, they looked at this painting and they saw a black man on a boat in the middle of dangerous waters. 
And unlike other paintings where people just say, well, that's nice, well, that's pretty, they looked at this painting and said, Winslow Homer, what are you trying to tell us? People got angry and wrote him letters and said, what is this supposed to mean? What are the sharks and the waves and the typhoons supposed to represent? Other people wrote words of compassion. What happened to that man in that boat? People who had never had compassion for a black man before wrote to him and asked him, finish the story, tell us what happened to the man in the boat. It caused this visceral reaction within them, this voice telling them to have compassion. To have compassion for someone different than them. To have compassion for someone that they had ignored. To treat that person with love and respect, to not forget them or use them, but value them, to save them, to give them peace. Winslow Homer often said, it's just the Gulf Stream. I'm not trying to to cause a voice to rise up in your head, but it was out of his hands. People still, hundreds of years later, look at this painting and wonder, about the symbolism of the wind and the waves and the storm all around this man who is all alone. That voice rises up within the disciples too. They're sitting on that boat. They've awoken Jesus and now Jesus is waking something up within them, calling on them to live a new life, a life of a deep calling Not the life that they thought they would live on their own. Not the life they had planned for themselves, but a life that God has planned for them. Frederick Bigner said it like this. He said, Christ sleeps in the deepest selves of all of us. And whatever we do, and whatever time we have left, wherever we may go, may we, in whatever way we can, call on him as the fishermen did in their boat to come awake within us and give us courage, to give us hope, to show us each one our way. May he be with us, especially when the winds go mad and the waves run wild, as they will for all of us before we're done, so that even in their midst, we may find peace. We may find Christ that voice within us, that voice of Christ that wakes within us when the world seems mad, calling us to give peace to others in the world. One of those letters that Winslow Homer received was from a a pair of sisters who lived in New England. They wrote to him just distraught about this man and this boat. What could have ever happened to him? They needed to know beyond a shadow of a doubt that he was okay. Winslow Homer thinking it's just a painting, but he finally relented and wrote them back. He said, rest assured, his friends came and found him. He's resting in the arms of his family even now. And he lived happily ever after. You see those people in the world that are tossed to and fro, those people in the world that are lost and alone, those people in the world who are despised and rejected and filled with hatred and prejudice from the people around them. That's that voice within you calling you to wake up, to reach out, to give them peace, a peace that surpasses understanding.
Thanks be to God. Amen.